Did you know Fast Growing Trees is the biggest online nursery in the U.S. with more than 10,000 different kinds of plants and over 2 million happy customers in the U.S.? They have everything you could possibly want, like fruit trees, palm trees, evergreens, houseplants, and so much more. Whatever you're interested in, they have it for you. Find the perfect fit for your climate and space. Fast Growing Trees makes it easy to order online, and your plants are shipped directly to your door in one to two days. And along with their 30-day Alive and Thrive guarantee, they offer free plant consultation forever. This spring, they have the best deals online, up to half off on select plants and other deals. And listeners to our show get an additional 15% off their first purchase when using the code POOL at checkout. That's an additional 15% off at FastGrowingTrees.com using the code POOL at checkout. FastGrowingTrees.com, code POOL. Offer is valid for a limited time. Terms and conditions may apply. Make sure to go to TimCast.com. Click join us and become a member to support this podcast and all the work we do. And you'll get access to exclusive uncensored segments from TimCast IRL and way more. Now, let's jump into the first story. Perhaps the least shocking headline I could have chosen. Elon Musk says we are sleepwalking our way into World War Three. And he's correct. And I decided to use this story from the Post Monday to lead off because it was uh, the least shocking. Sure, I could lead with the Pentagon saying they will hold Iran accountable for attacking our military bases. There's Bloomberg, U.S. carrier strike group deployed to Middle East after Iran is deemed responsible for attacks on U.S. military bases. Israel has declared to the press yesterday that Iran was involved in the Hamas attack on Israel, the terror attack that killed over a thousand, around 1,400 Israeli civilians, many more taken hostage. And it would seem that the conflict is going to eventually wrap in to World War III or, 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 or induce. But again, decided to bring this one up because perhaps it's a more domestic warning. Perhaps it is sentiment. I don't know. You know, I've got a couple stories for you, and it seems that there's no answer for us. I have an article from Ben Shapiro talking about the need for the United States to intervene lest this become World War III. I have an article out of the UK from The Mirror, which has a uh, military official saying the U.S. getting involved will make this World War III. Pick your poison. We are sleepwalking into World War III. Perhaps we are already there. I wonder how history will judge us. And as I often state when it comes to great wars, you don't know you're in it until sometime later. In the first couple of years, I believe it was the first couple of years of the American Civil War, they did not call it the Civil War. I think it was at first called like a rebellion in the South. And then I think about a year or two on is when they started referring referring to it as a war between the states and then eventually a civil war. And then history books decided to say, like, here's the time period of the Civil War. It's fascinating. We could say Bleeding Kansas was part of the Civil War. It absolutely was. But it was isolated mostly to Kansas. For those that aren't familiar, it was a seven-year period before the start of the Civil War, based on the history books, in which uh, there was a Civil War being fought in Kansas over whether or not the state would become a slave state or a free state. And now we are staring down the barrel of World War III. It will be interesting how history judges us looking back at all these articles, and they'll say, They truly did not know what they were in. 
You know, when you read history, and I, and I recommend you, you read as much as you can, you'll see time jumps. And a lot of people don't think about this. It'll say, you know, on, on this date and this year, let's say 1940, this thing happened. By 1941, this thing had happened. And 1942 saw the launch of like, whoa, 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 whoa. That's two years I went by. Now think about where we are. 2023, this conflict with Ukraine has now been going on for, what is it, over almost two years now? Has it been that long? The, the Ukraine-Russia war. And has it been that long? Maybe I'm, maybe I'm, I, it's crazy, right? I wonder if in the future they're going to look back and say that the U.S. efforts to alter, uh, to change the leadership and back Ukraine joining the EU and NATO resulted in an assault from Russia. And, you know, it, it, it'll, it'll be written by those who uh, say, think they know best. Perhaps they'll argue in the history books that Russia's invasion was the start of World War III. Many have already stated it. But right now, the big news is that Iran attacked the United States. That's it. What they're saying, and they're saying it very softly, is that Iran-backed militias, though very different, attacked U.S. military bases in Iraq and Syria. That's a very different picture. But either way, the grains of sand are being added to the heap. This will build sentiment in the United States in favor of war with Iran. But the more worrying story is that Hamas sleeper cells and Iranians have entered through the southern border. If there is an attack, Joe Biden will take the blame for it. And the general public of the United States will likely support some kind of expansion, some kind of war. Now, I don't know because today we have the Internet and things are very different. I can look at everything going on and say, oh, man, there are similarities between the war with Iraq and what we're seeing now. But there's no guarantee because sentiment in this country is split. Young people in this country, they side with Hamas. They really, they really do. I have, I have a poll. I think I have it pulled up. And not only do they side with Hamas, but they believe that what Hamas is doing is genocide against Jews. And they side with that in the majority. That doesn't mean that everyone who sides with it believes it's a genocide, but there is like at least a rollover of, I think, 12 or so percent that absolutely do. No, it might be like 17 percent. And that's not an absolute number. That's like a minimum. Let's read the news. And I'll start here with the sentiments of Elon Musk. The Postmillennial reports Elon Musk spouted off on a Twitter space on Monday with insights into the current state of global affairs. He said that a potential World War Three puts civilization at risk, that the U.S. is lacking an advantage in terms of industrial output when it comes to China and Russia, and that those two nations are being pushed closer together in an access of immense power against the West and laying the groundwork for World War Three. Quote, and so Russia has the raw materials. And China has the industrial capacity. It's frankly a perfect match from a war standpoint. So I think we need to stop doing that. It's unwise. And I think and I think we'll lead to an immense risk to civilization. I want to emphasize like that there's civilizational risk. There are tragedies on an individual level, tragedies on a community level. And then there's civilizational risk. We just need to make sure that we're not putting civilization itself at stake which is World War Three. He said he sees no benefit in prolonging the war between Russia and Ukraine. He called for peace in that conflict and a normalization of relations between the U.S. and Russia. Citizens of the two nations, he said, are essentially cousins. Presidential candidate Vivek Ramaswamy joined Musk in the space, hosted by David Sachs, along with two others who were intrigued to hear the tech billionaire's perspective. I think we are sleepwalking our way into World War Three, Musk said. Really? 
people should be deeply self-reflective. If they make their predictions, if they make their predictions have not come true, I think this is a typo there, they should consider whether perhaps there are other predictions might not come where, where their other predictions may not come true. They use voice to text to translate this, guys. What is the track record here, he said, noting that no one alive today remembers the horror of a world war. As World War II vets have all passed, people today don't know what it was like. Musk said that we've all essentially grown up coddled. And he's correct. He is correct. Politico reports. Pentagon says it will hold Iran responsible for attacks on U.S. troops. The U.S. has ordered additional forces to the Middle East to protect personnel there. Do they need to call it Iran? They're militias trained and backed by Iran, they say. And therefore, that's it. It's Iran. I think this is a choice being made. They could say, uh, in fact, I don't think this would even be news on, in any other period. Militias have attacked U.S. bases. Uh, in some instances, no injuries reported. So is it, is it breaking news? It is. It is when you're trying to drum up sentiment in the United States for mass mobilization into war in the Middle East. You start with something small. Iran is backing groups that are attacking us. Eventually, you'll get a wider array of skirmishes. U.S. encounters Iranian forces, U.S. soldiers uh, critically injured, Iranian soldiers uh, killed, etc., etc. And then eventually, you will get some kind of terror attack in the United States from Iranian forces or, or Hamas forces, because they've already been warning this as well. The groundwork has been laid. Whether or not it's intentional or not, you can call it intentional. These stories are coming out for a reason. Or you can just say, we are sleepwalking into World War III. As these things happen all around us, you can see the signs. Perhaps some want World War III. Perhaps they don't. I don't know. I'm just telling you the dominoes are being laid one by one. And with the stories already in the press that Iran has attacked U.S. forces and hear me talking about it, all that it takes next is for some degree of attacks. Maybe it'll be low level attacks in multiple places from Iranian backed groups or Iranian uh, loyal forces in the United States who came into the southern border. And what happens? The U.S. will be backed into a corner. And even then, a Donald Trump presidency does not stop the conflict. This is the fear about having someone like Joe Biden in office because he's not going to do what needs to be done. In fact, he's probably sleepwalking himself. But here we are. The Wall Street Journal outright says Pentagon says Iran ultimately responsible for attacks on U.S. troops. So here we are. Head over to Google and what do you see? Oh, boy, this one's this one's fun. U.S. bases attacked in Iran is the search. And just look at all these stories. U.S. U.S. has Iran actively facilitating Iran backed terror groups, Iran facilitating Iran backed groups, Iran backed groups, Iran, 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 Iran. The powers that be in the United States have wanted this for quite some time. And oh, boy, it looks like they're about to get it. Tucker Carlson issues a warning. Tucker Carlson highlights ominous sign about potential Iran war. It's another morning, and you're all set for work. You grab your coffee, head out the door, and your car decides today's the day it won't start. Panic sets in. You're not just late, you're stranded. Get ahead of unexpected car repairs before they strike with CarShield. 
the most trusted vehicle protection company. For almost 20 years, CarShield has saved millions of drivers from repair nightmares with low monthly plans that cover up to 5,000 major parts and systems, like pricey transmission and engine repairs, and check engine light mysteries. Visit CarShield today at carshield.com carlson. Plans include unlimited miles, 24-7 roadside assistance, help with flats, lockouts, and rental car options. Save 20% and get a free quote by visiting CarShield online at carshield.com carlson. Don't wait for the next surprise. Choose peace of mind with CarShield. Go to carshield.com carlson and save 20% today. Former Fox host has criticized Republican figures who are calling for the U.S. to go to war with Iran amid conflicts involving Israel. Speaking on his new show, which is hosted on X, Carlson said there are ominous signs. The Republicans are not fighting against the Biden administration, who said he was pushing for the country to head into a war with Iran as a retaliatory measure. He made the comments as fears grow that the violence between the Iran-backed Islamist militant groups, Hamas and Israel, could escalate into a wider conflict. So this we understand. Tucker Carlson has entered the fray. I give you this. I give you this from Guy Benson. And perhaps we'll have to uh, elaborate on this um, later on. But I, I think this is important for you to see. What this means in terms of World War Three may be something we've never seen before. The amount of violence and attacks we may see in the United States may not even come from Iran. It may rip this country in twain when it comes from our own Gen Z. Guy Benson tweets. I just keep staring at these numbers. A slim majority of 18 to 24 year old Americans say Hamas slaughtering civilians can be justified by the grievance of Palestinians. Then 62 percent of the exact same group agree the massacre was genocidal, genocidal, but justified. This is from Harvard Caps, Harvard Harris. Voters say the killing of 1200 civilians is not justified, but the grievances of Palestinians and the attacks on Jews are genocidal. What are they saying? Well, here's the question. Do you think the Hamas killing of 1,200 Israeli civilians on Israel can be justified by the grievances of Palestinians, or is it not justified? 76% of people say it is not justified. Very interesting. 75% of those asked say it is genocidal. And those individuals would be correct. But then you look at the age group breakdown and what do you see? 55 to 64 year olds, 11 percent say that it that it is justified by the grievance of Palestinians. Eighty nine percent say it's not justified. Forty five to 54, 77, 35 to 44, 61, 25 to 34, 52. And guess what? 18 to 24 year olds. Only 49 percent say it's not justified. Fifty one percent of 18 to 24 year olds believe what Hamas did in killing civilians explicitly in the question was justified. Worse still, 62% of 18 to 24 year olds believe the attacks were genocidal. So what's the overlap here? Okay, so I, I was wrong. It's about 11, 11% overlap, huh? There are 51% of 18 to 24 year olds. Uh, I'm sorry, it's not 11%. It's a, it's, it's, it's a bit more, I would say. It's 51. Wow. This is, this is an insane number to, to, to see. 51% of young people say the attacks by Hamas are justified. 
That's what you're seeing, especially coming out of these universities. 62% believe it is genocide. Now, I don't know how many of those who believe it's justified actually also believe it is genocidal. I think it's fair to say perhaps of the 49% who are saying it's not justified, 49, right, right. So, okay. So the number is about 13, 14%, 49% say it's not justified. Let's give the benefit of the doubt and say every single one of those individuals believes it's not justified and it's genocide. That means there is about 14% left over that believe it is justified and it is genocide. That's a terrifying thought, isn't it? A terrifying thought. No, no, no. I'm, I'm sorry. It's about 13%. Now, I'm doing the math wrong. I, whatever. The point is, not every person who is saying it's justified believes it's genocide. In fact, I'd be willing to bet if you went to the average far leftist marching through the street, chanting free Palestine and from the river to the sea, they say it wasn't. Despite the fact they say all of these people are settlers. It's interesting. My question for them is what amount of time needs to pass before a person living somewhere who was born there is deemed native to that land? No idea. I don't think there is an answer. I think the left is a chaotic, destructive force and is dominated by overt evil. I really do. Oh, I'm not going to justify Israeli uh, airstrikes that kill civilians or anything like this. A horrifying report coming out yesterday, Justin Amash tweeting that his his uh, uh, second cousins, his first cousins killed an Israeli airstrike. And here's here's the main challenge. You've got pro-Israel people saying Hamas attacked Israel. You've got pro-Palestine, uh, pro-Hamas people. There's a distinction, but there is an overlap. Saying that they're settlers who stole the land. I see people asking questions like, if you were being occupied, would you just give up? And um, here's my response. First, this is not the United States. Israel is not the United States. Now, they're a strong ally in the region. Yes, the United States and the UK were trying to establish a homeland for the Jewish people, but it's a lot more complicated than that. What we end up seeing is an argument of how far you can go back to determine who owns this land. And my attitude is kind of just like, mm, maybe we should not be involved, but I don't know if that's, that's a possibility. I really don't. Instead, what you get is an impossibility. We can't allow Israel to just be wiped off the map and for there to be a genocide. We cannot allow a people who think that all settlers are not civilians and thus fair game to go and massacre people in villages. They argue that Gaza is an open air prison. So we had a young man on last night and I asked him of this question and I think the absurdity of the of, of the situation is, is exposed in this conversation. I asked him what would happen if the security barrier around Gaza was completely moved, security forces were moved, and Israel said you are free to move about all of Israel. And he said violence would be on both sides. Both sides. Okay. The idea that Israeli citizens are going to storm into Gaza and just start randomly massacring people, I think is an absurdity. But the idea that people in Gaza storm into Israel and start massacring people, I think is a reality that already happened. Now, I'm not saying every one of your average Palestinians does this. In fact, I believe it would be a slim minority, but it would happen. And so the violence on both sides. No, you can make the argument that Israel stole the land. Fine. That's not solving the problem. That's justifying the escalation of tensions into World War Three. Let me stress this now. The people who are arguing 
that Palestine, Hamas, Gaza, etc., are justified in attacking Israel, calling for escalation. My argument is you may be mad about 1940, was it 47, 48, 19, I think it's 48 and 67. You may be mad about the expansion, the encroachment, whatever you want to believe. Be mad about it. Just know this. If you believe that history justifies the attacks of Hamas on Israel, you are saying World War Three should happen. That's the only way I can see it. No, I get it. They're like, that's not fair. We just think the people have a right to return, return to their homeland, blah, blah. OK, we are at a point where that is not possible. If you truly believe that the, the, the people of Israel are unjust and in the wrong. Many of these people in these villages, the kibbutz, they were born there. They, are, they were not part of the civil war. They are not part of what happened 75 years ago. And so you are arguing that they should be killed and displaced. The result is going to be World War III. That's it. Or perhaps we can say, for, what, for whatever we do now, the fighting must stop. I don't know how that, you make that happen. The argument right now from the pro-Israel side is that Israel must take out Hamas targets who are seeking to, to wipe them out. We see these polls showing that people know that it's genocide, but they still believe it's justified. And that's insane to me. Ben Shapiro argues this. The United States needs to be involved. He says how America can avert World War III. And man, you know, I, I, I had a lot of comments, a handful last night. It's really funny when uh, we had this individual on the show who was arguing that Israel was committing war crimes and all these things because Israel cut off water and electricity. And I'm like, I don't know that it's a crime to not give someone electricity, like a war crime to not give them electricity. If the argument is you took it away from them and it was their production, like you bombed it or something, perhaps. But we know that Hamas released a video where they turn water pipes into rockets. It's war. I don't understand how anyone could justify anything. But the argument here is that, you know, we, this gentleman last night was arguing that he believes it's possible Netanyahu knew the attack was coming. Israel warned it. So he ordered the military to stand down so that Israelis would be massacred to give them a justification to bomb Gaza. And I'm just like, there are so many leaps of faith to get to that question. I believe it in absurdity. Now, people have said, yes, but false flags happen to me. You should really entertain these questions. And I'm like, sure. But if you want to entertain that question, we can entertain 50 more. A hundred more, a thousand more. And where does it lead us? It doesn't answer any questions. It doesn't solve any problems. The issue is the people who are critical of, of Israel would choose a greatly circuitous argument as to how this went down for, for governmental benefit of Netanyahu, of, of political benefit. And I'm like, my point is this. If you're going to make all of those assumptions, there are so many variables in between. I could make up a whole another story and, and ask you why you choose to believe this. The way I often do it, the point I'm trying to make, people like to say that 9-11 was an inside job and that Bush knew something like that. At the very least, they say they knew it was coming and let it happen. I say, OK, here's a conspiracy theory for you, equally as plausible. In the 70s, when they were building the towers, it was a contract to the lowest bidder. This is how we operate in the United States. We say we want to build two large skyscrapers of this, you know, Port Authority says we want to we want to bid this. Here's a contract. And then you get 10 companies. One company says it'll cost 100 million. They say too expensive. One company says we can do it for 75, too expensive. One company goes, we can do it for 50. 
And the other companies balk and say, what? It's impossible to build these for 50. They say, no, we can do it. So what happens? The government says, yours, if you can build it for 50. And they said, we can. Then a couple of the executives have a meeting and the one guy says, we can't build two skyscrapers for 50 million. Are you nuts? What are you doing? And the one guy goes, don't worry about it. Central support columns that typically allow the building to withstand high hurricanes or plane crashes. Look, this is never going to happen in New York. Plane's not going to hit the building. Pull out these support columns. We save $12 million. Recession and inflation are here. Gas, housing, and everyday goods are up, way up. And you want to be ready for any situation. So what would you do if there's no food on the shelf? Arc Heirloom Seeds are here to help. Did you know 99% of seeds sold today can't reproduce? With Heirloom Seeds, you only have to plant once. Then you can grow year after year, giving you and your family stability and security because things are getting crazy out there. Our all-in-one seed kit provides everything you need to grow your own food. This premium seed kit has over 65 varieties, 50,000 seeds in stores for 15 years. You'll also get our exclusive seed guide to make growing a no-brainer. Arc Seed Kits is a family-owned and operated business and the most trusted name in the nation for over 15 years. Our mandate is to get heirloom seeds into every home in America. Go to arcseedkits.com today and get free shipping by entering promo code podcast. That's arkseedkits.com, promo code podcast. Get your seeds, get prepared, get growing. arcseedkits.com. That's my conspiracy theory. Not literally, but you get my point. Why was that not an argument? Corporate malfeasance. Or how about this? They, they, they cut uh, the budget on the buildings. My point is this. I don't know. My issue with conspiracy theories is that people choose which circuitous path makes the most sense. Ultimately, my point is this. You have people who want, want so desperately to believe that Israel is evil, that they will say, that Israeli soldiers killed their own citizens. They're, they're putting articles out saying that, that Netanyahu allowed this to happen. And I'm just like, you have made too many assumptions for me to even entertain this possibility. By all means, think it and ask the questions. Fine. But you're going to be asking 10,000 other questions if you're going to make this many leaps. My point is not to bring, into, bring up the question of the merit of these of these stories. My point is that there are people who are so passionate that they will ignore logic and entertain possibilities which require numerous assumptions. Maybe you're right. I don't know. My point is this. I don't know. And I don't care for the extremist passion of accusing Israel of allowing this to happen or claiming it's a false flag. Ben Shapiro argues, U.S. intervention, U.S. strength will prevent the conflict from escalating to a point in which Israel goes into all-out war, roping in other nations. In the inverse, at the mirror, you have a ex-Royal Navy chief saying the U.S. involvement will bring in Russia and result in World War III. So pick your poison. If the U.S. gets involved, Iran is forced to intervene. Ben Shapiro says if the U.S. doesn't get involved, Iran is forced to intervene. Have fun, ladies and gentlemen. It would seem that the only outcome here is going to be World War Three. So the only thing I can tell you is that I hope you're prepared for where this brings us. Because I only see escalation. Internally in the United States, I hope you're prepared for what this brings us. Far left extremists, they know no morals. They know no political cause. Their morality shifts on a whim. 
And they're already attacking innocent people in the streets. They've been doing it for years. They believe that the attacks on Israel are justified. And they also believe it's genocide. These are people who believe genocide is justified. It's horrifying. I don't know what percentage, but the percentage exists. What do you think they'll do to you? I hope you're prepared. That's all I can say. And I hope it doesn't happen, but I don't know how else this plays out. I'll leave it there. Next segment is coming up at 1 p.m. on this channel. Thanks for hanging out, and I'll see you all then. Donald Trump's lawyer, Jenna Ellis, has pleaded guilty in Georgia election case, the latest to flip. I believe this makes, uh, what are we on, four or five uh, guilty pleas, four guilty pleas, which will break down. Jenna Ellis, the right wing attorney who worked for the Trump 2020 campaign, pleaded guilty to a criminal charge in the Georgia election case. It's a single charge, but it carries with it five years of probation. Oh, what an interesting, interesting development. Another domino falls, the knife in the back of Donald Trump. These people were oh so proud and so happy to stand firm in 2020 and say unequivocally that Donald Trump was the rightful winner. Jenna Ellis did very little. She was a lawyer. She was charged on two counts, one of which was RICO and one was soliciting a public official, I believe. I'll, I'll get the specific charge um, pulled up in a second. But it was very little. Uh, in fact, she's being charged basically for just being Trump's lawyer at the time, which is not only, in my opinion, constitutionally protected, but a constitutional requirement. I'll say it. I don't think Trump was right. I think a lot of the stuff that they were arguing was wrong. And I've said this from the beginning. I believe that Democrats engaged in ballot harvesting changes to the uh, to the election rules. Often it was done through the executive branch and not the legislature, which is seemingly in violation of the Constitution, something of which was not ever adjudicated. But long story short, Joe Biden got more votes than Trump. And people seem to conflate that statement with the idea that more people wanted Joe Biden to be president. I never said that. In fact, quite the opposite. I said to Steve Bannon, Trump was anti-elected. There was no sentiment in favor of Joe Biden for the most part. I think enthusiasm for Biden was like 26% to Trump's like 92. But anti-Trump enthusiasm was through the roof. Why? Well, COVID happened. They took away sports, movies, video games, etc. I was the video games were still there to a certain degree, but certain events weren't. And uh, people got mad. They got mad. They were locked down and Trump was the president. They blamed him. They then mailed everybody a ballot and they went ballot harvesting. It's not that hard to understand. Now, you can argue a whole bunch of other things happened. I'm not saying they didn't. I'm saying that is the principal move that was made. Now, you have Trump's lawyers who are making arguments to defend him as he challenged the election. I believe it is the responsibility, nay, the obligation of any lawyer or any candidate who feels the election was unjust to challenge it, for that is what makes this country a government of, for, and by the people. For if we are a nation that imprisons individuals who seek a redress of grievances, then we are no longer a, a, a constitutional republic with democratic institutions. We are no longer a government of, for, and by the people. And I think it's fair to say that we're at that point. Now, what can I say of Jenna Ellis and these others who have pleaded guilty? Oh, boy. Facing five or six years of probation, depending on the individual, I, I hope that within six months, they are found to be in violation of their probation and they get incarcerated because I want them to realize what they have done 
in kissing the pinky ring of corrupt individuals. Let me let me let me elaborate. It's not so much about them. I think they've shown their true colors in turning their back on this country and on Donald Trump. For Jenna Ellis should have asserted in court it was her constitutional obligation to act as a lawyer for a man who was seeking a redress of grievances, that she made no intentionally incorrect statements, that she falsified nothing, and she simply acted as a lawyer as her duty dictates. Instead, she cried and said it's her fault, she regrets it, and oh boy, she'd never do it again. Well, okay. The message is clear. It is clear to any lawyer who would stand up on their First Amendment right to speak and seek a redress of grievances, that you will be crushed if you dare oppose the corruption in this country. And Jenna Ellis wants to assist these people. But you know what? You reap what you have sown. Now, I believe they'll probably let them do their thing. It's probably going to be unsupervised probation or something like this. But the reason why I say I hope they go to jail, understand a few things. Why are they doing this? One, as I already mentioned, they want to make sure any lawyer in the future knows the cost is too great for you to bear. And thus, no one's going to want to seek a redress of grievances. It is to put the boot on your neck. And they want to make sure everyone sees the tears streaking down Jenna Ellis's face. Now, if you were to have challenged this and stood firm and said this country mandates that we file the legal challenges that we deem we must to preserve this nation. Well, that's a terrifying thought. Someone standing up for the ideals of this country. No, no, no. They need Jenna Ellis to drop to her knees and kiss the pinky ring. I did say a lot of people were like, what does that mean? Kissing the pinky ring. Uh, have you ever seen The Godfather? All right. The mob boss holds up his ring and the man kisses it. He says, be my friend. And he kisses the pinky ring. It's also it's a general reference to uh, 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 acquiescing to uh, authority, right? So um, another reference that I love is in the game Colonization. The king will insult you and say something like, it's a video game about colonizing, you know, the Americas. The king will say, your uh, awful behavior insults me. So I'm increasing your taxes. Kiss my ring. And you can kiss the king's ring or you can say, screw off and you can dump everything in the ocean. Hey, hey, it's inspired by the Boston Tea Party. We will not acquiesce to your unjust demands. We will not kiss the pinky ring, good sir. But Jen Ellis did. And so here's the issue. It's not so much that I really want anyone to suffer or go to jail, but Jenna Ellis has told the judge, you can imprison me if you deem. She has given up her rights, her fight. She has given up her moral obligations and any argument she could have. You guys seen Yellowstone in the show Yellowstone, uh, which apparently is getting canceled, unfortunately. There is this environmental activist who uh, assaults an officer or something, whatever. Spoiler alert. And uh, she's uh, she decides to take a plea agreement and she's warned not to do it. If you take this plea agreement, you give up everything. And so instead of fighting the charge with an advocate who is going to speak on her defense, the prosecutors say, look, we're going to give you a slap on the wrist. But if you're convicted, it's a decade in jail or something like that. So before this judge, who is absolutely looking to send, send, an, an, uh, send a message about these environmental protesters, I mean, look, she's an eco activist who attacked a cop, assaulted an officer. 
She works out with the prosecutors. They say, we're going to give you a slap on the wrist, probation. You're going to leave. Don't worry. You call us every few months. You're fine. Just we'll be done with this. She goes, okay. So in court, the judge says, my understanding, you'll be pleading guilty. And the recommending recommendations in the agreement will be one year probation or something like that. And she goes, yes, your honor. He goes, okay, then do you plead guilty? How do you plead? And she goes, I plead guilty. And he goes, Okay, the court accepts your plea. And now as judge, I reject the plea agreement. And with your guilty plea, I sentence you to 10 years of prison. And she's like, wait, what? No. Well, that's what you get. Now, look, in that case, it's a fictional story. And she's kind of like a bad person who attacked a cop. And she knew what she did was wrong. But it's funny because they have like Kevin Costner's character be like, what are you doing? You're locking her up. And he gets her out early or something like this. Jenna Ellis has just thrown herself at the mercy of the court, sacrificing the hundreds of she, she raised hundreds of like 280 grand to fight back and say, no, I will not comply. And she drops to her knees and she gives up. Let me play for you the video and then we'll talk about what this uh, what we have before us. So we have uh, this clip of Sidney Powell. I really want to play that in a, in a, in a second. Uh, what they said. Oh, do I not have the video? I got to have the video pull up. Here we go. Here we go. This is from uh, Ron Filipkowski. Says Jen Ellis reads a tearful statement in court after her guilty plea where she throws Rudy Giuliani under the bus and says she wished she had never gotten involved. Okay, well, here you are, ladies and gentlemen. Thank you, Your Honor, for the opportunity to address the court. Have you seen the price of gold lately? It's hitting all time highs. And when it comes to investing in gold, check out Noble Gold Investments. They have a track record of excellence that's second to none. Just look at their thousands of five-star reviews on Trustpilot, Google, and the Better Business Bureau. Customers rave about their knowledgeable staff, smooth investment process, and life-changing results, which you can see for yourself online. That's the kind of reputation you can count on. But it's not just about the reviews. Noble Gold Investments truly care about their clients. They take the time to understand your unique needs and goals, and they give expert guidance every step of the way. That level of personalized service is rare in this industry. Look, when it comes to securing your financial future, you can't afford to take chances. Go with the gold company that has earned the trust of countless investors. Visit noblegoldinvestments.com slash Tim Pool today and discover why Noble Gold Investments is the only choice for smart, secure gold investments. Or call them at 877-646-5347. Again, that's 877-646-5347. As an attorney who is also a Christian, I take my responsibilities as a lawyer very seriously, and I endeavor to be a person of sound moral and ethical character in all of my dealings. In the wake of the 2020 presidential election, I believed that challenging the results on behalf of President Trump should be pursued in a just and legal way. I endeavored to represent my client to the best of my ability. I relied on others, including lawyers with many more years of experience than I, to provide me with true and reliable information, especially since my role involved speaking to the media and to legislators in various states. What I did not do, but should have done, Your Honor, was to make sure that the facts the other lawyers alleged to be true were in fact true. In the frenetic pace of attempting to raise challenges to the election in several states, including Georgia, I failed to do my due diligence. I believe in and I value election integrity. If I knew then what I know now, I would have declined to represent Donald Trump in these post-election challenges. 
I look back on this whole experience with deep remorse. For those failures of mine, Your Honor, I have taken responsibility already before the Colorado Bar who censured me, and I now take responsibility before this court and apologize to the people. And apologize and apologize. And uh, and there it is. The betrayal of Donald Trump acquiescing and collapsing and giving in. Now, here's a clip from uh, Sidney Powell. Check this one out. This is stunning, heartbreaking, infuriating, and the most unpatriotic acts I can even imagine for people in this country to have participated in in any way, shape, or form. And I want the American public to know right now that we will not be intimidated. American patriots are fed up with the corruption from the local level to the highest level of our government. And we are going to take this country back. We are not going to be intimidated. We are not going to back down. We are going to clean this mess up now. President Trump won by a landslide. We are going to prove it. (laughs) And we are going to reclaim the United States of America for the people who vote for freedom. Sure. This is look. I don't think Trump won in a landslide. I think people misunderstand what it means to win. Uh, since the beginning, I said Biden won. Why? He's in the White House. Trump didn't win. They got the votes. I don't care how you think they got the votes. The votes were there. The numbers exist. You can argue they're bad votes. You can argue whatever you want. The point is, in the greater scheme of things, I am not talking about an election. I am talking about a conflict between warring parties. Biden took the White House. That's, that, that's winning. And now, those who sought to aid Trump and assist him in their legal duties as lawyers, They are now being criminally charged. And you know what they're doing? They are sacrificing your future, your nation for themselves. For it takes a person of strong moral conviction to stand up and refuse to allow the corruption to spread to preserve this nation and its ideals. And for these individuals, Scott Hall, Sidney Powell, Kenneth Chase Brown, Jenna Ellis, they have decided that the fight is too great for them to bear. And you know what? Well, I can't blame them. They are weak willed individuals, weak moral conviction, and they should never have been placed in a circumstance like this. I would not ask a five foot three, 100 pound individual to try and carry two bodies out of a burning building. But in this instance, these are the people that Donald Trump chose. Now, as the as we we move uh, move on from this into the 2024 election cycle, understand the ramifications of this. If you are a lawyer who seeks to defend your client, you know that you'll be facing prison for them as individuals. I've heard the argument that, Tim, you are wrong. How dare you say such a thing of these noble patriots? Someone said I was gaslighting and I'm like, that's not what gaslighting means. Here's the issue. These individuals not only are uh, uh, barred from certain activities, they won't be able to do any legal work in 2024. Thus, key players in the 2020 election lawsuits are out of the game. And the argument from many people was that they're trying to avoid bankruptcy. What's the point for themselves? Yes, that's it. Okay. Here's what I see. A nation that's greatest fighters. I'm not really saying they are, but the argument was in 2020, they were, they were fighting this good fight, would not be intimidated if this is the best they have to offer. And they cave so easily. Well, that's just it. All for themselves to avoid bankruptcy. Is that all? You would sacrifice the core of this nation and your constitutional duties, drop to your knees and beg the court with tears. Don't make me do this. 
And there are people who say the court case was weak. That's what we're seeing. They didn't want to go to trial, so they got a free walk. Oh, is that the case? And if that was the case, then any one of these defendants could have smiled and said, I'll see you in court. And that's it. But instead, they chose not to. Why? So I hope. I hope as they throw themselves at the mercy of pure evil and corruption, they learn what it means to beg demons for mercy. And those demons smile and send a message to everyone else. For if the court decides that in the five years, or in the case of Sidney Powell, six years, these individuals are in violation of their probation, they will be incarcerated. And you know what? For the rest of us, it's an important gesture. It would be a warning to anyone. If you betray this nation, if you betray your constitutional duties and you acquiesce to corruption, you will be given no special treatment. Your deal will not be adhered to and for it, you will suffer. You know, it reminds me of the old stories of the jinns and the genies and the devils and Faustian bargains and things like this. Do you really believe that if you make a deal with the devil, the devil will actually abide? Well, of course not. For, for evil has no incentive to follow the terms of an agreement. You're playing a game with an individual who has explicitly told you they are going to cheat. Not only that, they're currently cheating in your face by trying to lock you up for simply being a lawyer. Now, let me stress again. Any one of these individuals who actually committed a crime should go to jail. And I'm going to make sure I, I make this very, very clear. There's one of two scenarios. All of these individuals who pleaded guilty were actually doing their due diligence and thought they were fighting the good fight and did not intend to break the law. And thus they are being unjustly prosecuted. And for that is the assumption I operate under. However, I must make it clear. The alternative here is that Jenna Ellis, Kenneth Chasebro, Sidney Powell, Scott Hall, all intentionally lied to manipulate our system to destroy this nation. And for this, I hope they go to prison. So understand what I'm saying. If Jenna Ellis actually did aid and abet false statements to try and subvert this nation, I am not satisfied with probation. That's a seditious conspiracy. And I hope she's found to be in violation and goes to prison. If it is not the case, and she is simply pleading down in fear, well, then she is sacrificing this country for herself, and she deserves prison. Perhaps there is something simple in all of this. Perhaps I am wrong in my assessment that these people were actually trying to uh, file a regis of grievances. Perhaps the reality is just oh so simple. These people are evil, evil people. And it's not the banality of evil, it is the malice, it is the malicious evil. That Sidney Powell knew she was lying, but wanted the grift. If that's the case, then I think she got off light. And I hope she goes to prison for trying to destroy this country. For if it is true that Donald Trump truly lost, then he should have lost. And these, these charges, these filings challenging the election, were it the case that these individuals knew they were lying, then they're getting off light. However, I think it's fair to say that there's probably a mixed bag. Some of these people, I believe, probably lied. And for that, they should go to jail. And they should not be given a light treatment. But I, I, I genuinely believe, based on what I've read and what occurred, Jenna Ellis, she did not do that much. The charges she was facing was RICO, which is just a broad sweeping charge, and solicitation of a public officer, a very, very minor charge. 
It appears that Jenna Ellis was simply acting as a lawyer for Donald Trump. Donald Trump says, I need a lawyer. Here's my argument. She says, I'll draft the argument for you. They said, now you're going to go to jail. And she goes, oh, please. Oh, me. Oh, my. But I will make, make sure it's very, very clear. Anyone who is lying or cheating to subvert an election should go to jail. I don't care which side you're on. And if these people are now admitting that's the case, then there is only one of two outcomes. They have betrayed Donald Trump and us, even though they were doing their constitutional duties or they're actual evil liars who are trying to overthrow this country. You pick either way. They're really, really awful people. In the end, what we get. Well, they're going to go after Donald Trump. Now, I think it's fair to say it's funny. We're seeing like um, liberal commentators say things like, there are still Trump supporters who are going to believe, even after all these people admitted all this, that they're innocent, blah, blah, blah. It's like, come on. You don't get to argue that innocent people get locked up through the jury, the jury tax or through plea agreements, which are exploitative and corrupt, and then argue it does not apply here. We've known about the jury, t- the trial tax, the jury tax, whatever, whatever you want to call it for a long time. That is, you could be accused of a crime for which you're innocent. This is a normal thing that happens in this country, and I think it should be illegal. I think it should be, uh, it should not be allowed. They say, you're accused of breaking and entering. And you go, I wasn't there. I have an, I have an alibi. Your alibi is no good. And if you go to trial, we're going to rip your alibi to shreds and you are going to be found guilty and you will get 10 years in prison. The person's like, oh man, what do I do? Hold on. We will give you a simple trespass charge. You'll serve three months and that'll be the end of it. The argument from the court is that by pleading guilty, you're accepting responsibility for what you've done. But the reality is most people fearing long trials that will cost them too much money and destroy their lives and potentially still see them going to prison decide, I will give the court whatever they ask if they just go easy on me. And so often you'll get lawyers who say, look, it's going to cost you millions of dollars and you're likely going to be found guilty. And then you'll go away for five years. Just take the probation. And they say, okay. So they sell everybody else out. I'd like to believe. Uh, uh, how, how should I say this? I'm not a coward. I've just never been tested. I like to believe that if I would, I would pass. Uh, it's actually not true. I just love that line from Mighty Mighty Boston's. Um, I've been tested, but not to this degree. When I was facing uh, about a month to six months in jail on a false charge, I was adamant that I would go to trial. I wanted a jury trial. They would have to fight tooth and nail and they would have to dedicate all the energy they had if they wanted to go up against me and let that be known. And guess what? The judge dismissed the case. How about that? Because that's that, that's 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 the world that I live in and clearly not the world that they live in. I don't know what life is outside of your convictions and the core of your being. For it is not a burnt cheesecake or a Bosque burnt cheesecake with with delicious cherries on top. It is not a chocolate lava cake with a scoop of organic vanilla ice cream. It's not scoring the jackpot in Vegas. All that life is, is what I believe. And I do not understand. I just cannot live in the mind of these people who would say I would sacrifice the core of my being for a little bit of comfort. That's just me. Yeah, I don't I don't know. I don't know. I just I just it's not in my mind. If I truly believed something and I and I and I I, I don't know what else I would do. I don't know what life is. I don't I don't get it. If someone came to me and said, 
renounce your faith in, 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 in the founding fathers, in the ideals of this nation, in the values enshrined in our constitution, I'd say no. And they would say, if you don't, we will destroy your life. What is life without the things that make me who I am? I don't know. What are, what are you arguing? That instead of eating a cheesecake tomorrow, I'll be eating prison food? I don't know the difference. I don't get it. Look, this is just so outside of my, my understanding and why I despise these people. I've eaten the finest meals. I have had Wagyu steak with lava salt sprinkled on top. And I don't care. It's nice. It's delicious. But it means so little in the long run. I could just as easily be, eat a box of mac and cheese from Walmart. I just don't get it. But there are people who value more sitting on their couch and watching sitcoms than the core of their being. Or perhaps there is no core of their being. Perhaps there is no world for which they seek. Perhaps there is nothing that makes them who they are. Perhaps the NPC meme is exactly what it is. Non-player characters, people with nothing that makes them who they are, except the desire to have a little more sweets, get a foot massage. I just don't understand. Perhaps the answer is this, that these people's the actions was unjust and they lied. And perhaps that's the reality. They really are evil people who lied to us and grifted off us to steal our money. I would say that's probably the assumption you, you should make. Or you can argue that they are sacrificing what they claimed were deeply held convictions for a little bit of comfort. I ask you this. It's a lesson I learned a long time ago in skateboarding. There's a famous pro skateboarder who said, before you're doing a death defying stunt, you ask yourself, what's the worst that could happen? And the reality is it's bad. It's bad. But you think about it. I would like to jump down this set of stairs. What's the worst that could happen? You break your legs, you slip, you fall, you hit your head. The worst possible thing in the world, in fact, is being scared and giving up. And the slim chance that you make a mistake and you get hurt, ah, the reality is you'll be out for a few weeks and you'll have a story to tell. The worst thing is that you never try and never experience that which life has to offer. I, I'm sorry, I'm just, I can only assume that these people are all just bad people. And so be it. Let them go to prison. That's why I said I hope they go to prison. Because again, I will stress, either they really did this, lying and trying to steal an election, or they're cowards who would sacrifice the, the convictions of this nation for a little bit of comfort. Betraying Donald Trump. Pick one. Which one? Either way, they deserve to go to jail, I guess. It's strange to me. I, I don't know what there is in life and what you end up with. And I don't understand so many people who, uh, what are your, what is your goal? What is your intention? Now, don't get me wrong. Look, some of these people have families that I get, but I really am just confused by those who would argue that their children should live in a world under the boot of corrupt evil, or they're just genuinely evil people who would sacrifice this nation for themselves. It is what it is, I suppose. I'll leave it there. Next segment is coming up at 4 p.m. on this channel. Thanks for hanging out, and I'll see you all then. I imagine you've heard the voice of Tara Strong somewhere. She is a very famous voice actress who has been on a ton of shows. Uh, who is she? Was Timmy Turner in Fairly Odd Parents? I believe she was. Uh, she's Batgirl, and uh, she. I think she was also Harley Quinn. 
So she's done a lot. Uh, she was fired from a job, she says, for being Jewish. In reality, it was for defending Israel in the wake of the attacks from Hamas. Now, uh, this one this one strikes at the core of my being, my friends. You see, Tara Strong has me blocked. I met her uh, 10 or so years ago. Uh, I've been a fan of hers and all the world. I think she was I think she was Ben 10 and in, in, in ben, ben Tennyson. She's like a, done a whole bunch of different uh, uh, voices. She was in Drawn Together. She played that princess and made a whole bunch of like, really offensive jokes. And uh, I met her a long time ago. And she is one of those individuals who did not know what she was signing on to when she began defending the cult of the psychotic left. And you know what? For this, she will she will reap what she has sown. I asked this question last week because I have many friends in Hollywood who are like liberal leftists, but who are Jewish. Well, duh, there's a lot of Jewish people in Hollywood, right? And I would ask them these questions about why they're backing Black Lives Matter when they outright say end Israel. And it's just like dial tone, nothing there. And I think the reality was they were only defending these issues from like BLM is because it was marketable and it was deemed socially, you know, important of <clears throat> you want to get this role. These are the politics you got to have. And so I'll get into this in a little bit about a question that I once asked a friend of mine who's an, who's an actress. And, uh, and we'll talk about this. So here's the story from the Post Millennial. Beloved voice actress Tara Strong was fired from her role in the independent animated series Boxtown after posting her support for Israel in its war against Hamas terrorists on social media. On Friday, she posted just uh, on X, just found out on Twitter regarding her termination. Well, let me re- let me read the tweets for you. It's actually a, a relatively old story. I mean, this was posted on October 13th. Boxtown says, hello, all just wanted to offer a quick update on Boxtown. We'll be recasting the role of Bill, previously played by Tara Strong. We'll have more info soon on open auditions. Thanks for y'all's understanding as we reorient and figure out the next steps. <laughs> Yo, I tried watching Rick and Morty without Justin Roiland, and it's just so awful. Like, there's a, there's a couple things they can get right that are funny. But like, the second episode is out. I watched the first one. It was really bad. Dude, I'm sorry. There, there are people who are trying to defend Rick and Morty because they love the show so much. Like, you can do the voices without the original voice actor. And it's like, nah, you can't, man. You just can't do it. I'd understand if, like, Justin Roiland suffered uh, a cardiac arrest and died suddenly. And they were like, we want to keep the show going. That would be sad. But in this instance, Justin Roiland was falsely accused of, like, domestic abuse or something, was exonerated, and they took away all of his jobs. Now, people are still critical of him because of some leaked DMs and stuff. I, whatever, man, I'm not here to, to, to adjudicate all that. That's wrong if that's the case. But, like, you can't do these shows. Now, Tara Strong, defending Israel over these attacks, she says, just found out on Twitter, this is what happens when you help fans get shows made, I guess, fired for being Jewish. Glad I helped you get your Kickstarter money. Please lose my email address and pray for my family in Israel and in Gaza. I just want to stop right here and say, Tara, I'm sorry, dude. You are insufferable. You know what really bothers me? Yo, they're criticizing you over your stance on Israel and war. They are not firing you because you're Jewish. Okay? And it's like, dude, that doesn't work on regular people. You can't just say that. Now, I still think Tara Strong is in the right to defend Israel. She's allowed to, and she shouldn't be fired for it. But just say that. I don't know why they try and turn into this. 
She has voiced Batgirl, Harley Quinn, as well as characters on the Powerpuff Girls. Oh, yeah, she was uh, Bubbles, right? Rugrats and Teen Titans. Strong had previously written multiple posts slamming the atrocities committed by Hamas. And I can, I can respect the, that. She says, for those who support the actions of Hamas, when, when, they in, when they infiltrate your hometown on your soil, break into Jewish homes, raping, beheading innocent babies, will you applaud them? Will you wave their flag while they slaughter Christians and Muslims who don't believe their ideologies? And, uh, and she got fired. Well, we have the statement here. I believe uh, Boxtown, the animated series, says, As some of you may have heard, Tara Strong is no longer involved with Boxtown or Bandit Mill animation and will no longer be voicing the character Bill the Orphan. The decision was due to a trend among Tara's recent online activity, including posts that promote controversial messages regarding the peoples of Palestine currently being affected by the ongoing Israel-Palestine crisis. We believe that our public platform gives us a duty to be careful when it comes to hateful messages, yada, yada, yada. This is not a difficult decision. More information about the casting of Boxtown will come within weeks. You see, the first thing I want to say is, did you not think to just like call her on the phone and say, hey, Tara, let's have a conversation. This is this is what you get, though, when you side with evil. Our hearts are with the Palestinian Israeli children and families being affected. People should be able to live freely without being threatened by constant abuse. We, we are hoping for the best. Yeah, let me tell you a story. Uh, I, I have a bunch of friends, as I mentioned, leftist friends in Hollywood. And, I, you know, I'm hanging out at, at the house of my friend who's got like, you know, a, a bunch of Jewish items. Clearly, they're Jewish. And I asked them about it. I was like, uh, uh, I, I think what happened was like they were explaining something to me that uh, mentioned some like one of the things they got from like a grandparent. And I was like, oh, wow. And then I asked them about it. I was like, isn't there like some kind of aren't you at odds with like you know, Israel and BLM and like the far left wanting there not to be in Israel. And they're like, what are you talking about? And like, no, that's unreasonable. I think people are just concerned. And, you know, I get it. And, and I asked I, I asked this of like several of my friends. I said, do you know how many Christians there are in the world? And uh, they're like, I don't know, what is like two billion or something? It's like two billion. It's like massive, massive religion. You know, how many nations are Christian? And uh, the real answer is fairly nuanced. It's like um, like many, many, many nations are not explicitly Christian. They don't have like Christian doctrine as their like state religion. Some do. But in reality, majority Christian nations, there's, you know, several dozen. And then I said, do you know how many Muslims there are? And I think it's like 1.8 billion or something like almost 2 billion. It could be 1.4. I don't know, whatever. But it's like over a billion, billion and a half. And do you know how many Muslim nations there are? A couple dozen. Right. These are explicit. These are nations that are explicitly Muslim in doctrine, meaning they actually have like Islamic theology at the highest levels of government. And then I asked them, I was like, do you know how many Jews there are in the world? And you get different answers um, in Israel. I think it's like, what do they say? This is seven million or maybe the diaspora goes up to like 17 million. And then I was like, and how many nation, how many Jewish nations are there? And this is the funny thing. I'm not asking this to make any kind of point outside of the far left defending Muslims and the hijab in this country when they make up billions of people, ignoring the fact that they actually, as Jews, are deeply concerned with, with Israel. But when I ask this question, all of a sudden you can see in these people passion. And they respond with one, maybe. And I'm like, how many Jewish nations are there? One, maybe. Why? Because Israel's at war and there's territorial disputes and arguments over a two state solution and what land actually belongs to Israel. Accusations that Israel doesn't belong there and they're colonizers and evil. It's not like there's a, a country that has just been led by uh, Jews for a long time and is just there. Israel is in dispute. 
So it's like all these Christian nations, all these Muslim nations and Israel. I'm not saying you have to support Israel. I'm not saying it's in support of Israel. I'm saying this is the current state of what Israel is. My point is more so explain to me, Jewish leftist, your views on Israel. Legitimate question. I'm not telling you you're right or wrong. I'm curious how you rectify your defense or I'm sorry, rectify. How do you justify? How do you explain your concern and fears over Muslims in the United States and around the world? At the same time, your nation is under serious threat from Islamic nations and militant groups. And as soon as you bring that up, it's all of a sudden like, boom, sparks go flying. And that's my point. Tara Strong thought she could stand with people who despise her and want to see Israel destroyed from the river to the sea. And the moment, the moment she spoke up for what she believed in, they discarded her like a soggy diaper. Well, that's what you get. Hey, look, man, we are reasonable people. I mean, like you and I, right? And we're willing to have a conversation with you about what you believe, be it pro or anti-Israel. And we are not going to, to, to condemn you. We're going to try to understand you. But hey, don't get me wrong. We could get heated and have an argument, but you're always welcome back to have another conversation. We got people at Timcast who are for and against pro-Israel, anti-Israel, whatever, pro-war, anti-war. No joke. <laughs> I think it's funny. People are ragging on Cassandra Fairbanks, who is friends with Alad Eliyahu. And they're just like, Alad jokes that he's a neocon Bolton bro who wants a unipolar American dominated world. Cassandra is an isolationist. They're friends. Cassandra was like, hey, check out Alad. He's great. Because we are rational people that understand we disagree on a lot of things, but we do ultimately want to try and solve these problems and live together. That's what we offer and extend to you, Tara Strong. But guess what? She blocks me. <laughs> I think it's hilarious. She blocks me on Twitter. I don't care. Whatever, dude. You can do whatever you want. But you see what happens? Had you come and worked with us, we would be accommodating to your worldviews and perspective within reason, trying to understand what you think, to just live, to live and work together, to build a better future. But you decided to arm your, to, to side yourself with evil people who hate everyone and advocate death and genocide. I am not exaggerating. This, this post I showed earlier that the, that young people, 18 to 24, believe 51% it's justified. What Hamas did was justified and 62% believe it's genocide. So what portion of that group genuinely thinks it's genocide and it's justified? Wow. It's crazy, isn't it? Jeremy Boring said, Years ago, a wealthy Jewish man asked me to support an organization he was founding to memorialize college students who engage in anti-Semitic organizations on campus so potential future employers could see their history. I opposed it and told him I found the notion anti-American and wrong-headed. College students are dumb. They're encouraged to be dumb. They deserve a chance to grow the hell up. Hit them in the moment, of course, but then give them a chance to find their way. He said, I stand by that right up until 10-7. If you went to the rallies or chanted stupid slogans back in the day, I get it. You probably did a lot of stupid things. We all did. But if you're still chanting from the river to the sea after 10-7, you're not a dumb college student being unwittingly used by jihad. Uh, you're, you're, you're not unwittingly used by jihadis. You're a knowing, willing participant in what your own eyes have seen in the rape and murder of Jews in the hundreds. You can live with it. I get it. There are a lot of people. Uh, and, and, and here's what here's what I'll say to this. Here's what I'll say to this. Um, a sing, uh, Jeremy Boring said the same thing. A single Palestinian child killed in Gaza is a tragedy and is horrifying. I demand solutions. I don't have them, but I demand solutions. I do not accept just collateral damage. Collateral damage is often an excuse and it's wrong. 
That being said, I don't have any solutions for you. This argument that Hamas can go in and kill 1,400 or however many uh, Jewish civilians and, 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 and even some tourists, elderly people, and take hostages and expect nothing in terms of retaliation is absurd. And people are like, yeah, well, innocent people are dying because of it. Innocent people die when Hamas attacked. I've listened to the statements. Majid Nawaz is an excellent statement I was reading that he posted about the generational anger and how they and how they see it and feel it. But listen, I can only tell you this. I'm not involved. I'm an American. I'd love for there to be a solution. I don't have one. I can tell you that storming in and just killing civilians is not an answer. It's not. And you don't win because of it, because it's a generational problem. And you don't solve it by just thinking as the underdog with no military might, you're going to go massacre civilians because this is what happens. And now I'm supposed to be like, oh, no, Israel's responding like, dude, yes. Oh, no, that civilians are dying. It's awful. It's horrifying. Don't have an answer for you, because even as even as of right now, Gaza's firing rockets into Israel. I'm seeing photos from people I know and trust people I've worked with in the past saying like rockets are exploding over me. <laughs> we, you know, they're complaining that Israel is firing rockets. This is what this is what this is what I see. People demanding Israel stop without saying anything about Gaza. And there and, and, and here's what we get. The Hamas hospital story lie. And then last night we had a guest on who told me that in the past 20 years or what do you say? Like in, in 2014, you know, 2000 Palestinians were killed and 88 Israelis were killed. And I said, what does that what does that mean? Why? I said, giving me numbers doesn't mean who, what or why. That means nothing to me. And what happened is I get people on Twitter saying Tim Pool claims dead, innocent Palestinians doesn't mean anything to him. I never said that. And this is why I despise the left. These people lie about everything. No, no, no. What I said was abstract numbers with no context doesn't mean anything. You're not arguing a point I can understand. I didn't say that dead civilians means nothing. Quite the opposite. Hence, I'm fairly anti-intervention, almost ex- ex- uh, absolutely anti-intervention and oppose war to an extreme degree because of collateral damage. But this is what they do. They lied about the hospital. They lie now. And I'm supposed to just sit back and watch them lie about everything every step of the way. Sorry, I'm not interested. I'm not interested in being party to your lies. Hamas did awful stuff. Does Israel lie? Listen, if you think a government is not going to lie to you in a time of war, I got a bridge to sell you. First, they will for, for, for gain, for, for, the, for their own benefit. Lying is a normal thing. And two, they would have to for security reasons. So yes, Israel lies. Duh. And they put up propaganda, of course. But the simple solution dictates that much of the stuff we've seen in terms of videos and statements and photos, it's real. It's just, I've done my due diligence and investigated. Yep. And then they say, what about all the innocent Palestinians that were killed 20 years ago? And I'm like, bro, I don't know what that means. Here's the, here's the example I give people. Five guys armed with, with batons smash out your, the, the, let's say you've got a front door, you got those like side windows, you know, smash them out, open the door and come inside. And you've got five people in your family and you have a gun, a big one. Let's say you got a KSG 25. That is a pump action shotgun, double, uh, double mag tube holds 25, 12 gauge, uh, uh, yeah, 12 gauge shotgun shells. Let's say you got one of those and it's loaded with buckshot. No, no, loaded with slugs. You know what slugs are? These are massive. Deer slugs. These five men break into your home and 
as your children are hanging out in the kitchen, they run in, grab one of your children and mercilessly beat that child to death. The, the, the person who owns the home grabs their KSG and fires on the people who are in the, in the process of beating their children, uh, beating this child to death. And then someone comes to me and says, did you know, like years ago by, did you know that this guy, he killed five people, five people, and they only killed one. And I'm like, what does that mean? Now, by all means, the story could be there was one guy with a baton and four old women standing by and they all got hit by slugs and died. And that's a horrifying story. Or the story could be that this guy was firing on five belligerents who were beating a child to death to save the child and was unsuccessful. You can't just say X many died, X many died. It doesn't it doesn't define morality. It doesn't solve the problem. And if people are operating under the assumption that, you know, it's as simple as Israel kills more people, then it's like, well, OK, then expect war to go on forever. Never ending. No, I think the issue is war is bad. We don't want Israel bombing residential buildings or, or whatever it is. The problem is the left is lying about everything. They're lying about what I said. And, and they're saying Tim refuses to criticize Israel. I get accused of being a Zionist and, and, and anti-Semitic all at the same time. It's, fun, it's funny. We have Cassandra being accused of being a Zionist because 20% of our guests on IRL are Jewish. And now because she's critical of Israel's, because uh, of collateral damage coming from Israel's airstrikes, she's being called, you know, like pro Hamas. I'm just like, you know what, man? But more to the point, to what Jeremy Boring is saying, the people who are cheering on what Hamas did at this point, you reap what you sow. OK, that's that's just it. But the divide is palpable. And it, and, 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 there, and there you go. I will say this of uh, uh, Tara Strong. If you were critical of uh, I have my moral lines, I don't believe that anyone who is chanting from the river to the sea is doing is doing right. And, and we had um, Charlie Kirk as well as. Uh, many people on the left argue that Netanyahu knew in advance and allowed this to happen for political gain. And I, I reject that. Is it possible? Of course. But it's circuitous. And it takes so many leaps to get to that position. I'm like, what's the point? If you're making the argument that he knew, you are essentially advocating for escalation because if he did, that would require the use of force to remove him for being evil and committing wrongdoings which would result in escalation. There's, I don't know what the answer is, if that's the, if that's the case. Here's what I see. This issue drives people insane. Do you know how many people have died so far in, uh-oh, I don't even know what nation to call. Is it Myanmar? Is it Burma? This year is like 12,000. And I made a post about it. I was like, the conflict started in 1948 in Burma in Myanmar, whatever you're going to call it. Is it Palestine? Is it Israel? Is it Burma? Is it Myanmar? And I I said, people just like nobody cares about that conflict. Hundreds of thousands dead. But everybody cares about Israel, Palestine. Why? It's cultural. It's religion. Someone responded, the Christ wasn't killed in Myanmar. It's like, we get it. But what I don't understand is why seemingly secular, moderate individuals and libertarians in this country are just screeching at the top of their lungs about Israel right now. And I'm like, have you given any consideration to Sudan or Myanmar or Burma or whatever you want to call it? I made that. I said, I, I tweeted, I'm going to get really mad about Myanmar. And someone's like, you meant uh, you spelled Burma wrong. And I'm like, you see, <laughs> you see. So that's my question. Why is it religion? OK, but what about the people who are not religious? 
Why are they not paying attention to any other global conflict for which there are many with substantially more dead, like 10 times as many? No idea. The, the 12,000 that have died so far in the Burma Myanmar conflict don't even move the needle for Americans. And so I'm just like, why are people so just hell bent on screeching and losing their minds over Israel? Look, man, I'm America. OK, you're America. Well, most of you are America. Some of you might be in Canada or some. But we're trying. We want peace. We don't want anyone dying. What's the answer, man? I certainly don't have it. Whatever, dude. I'll leave it there. We'll just try our best. Next segment is coming up at 6 p.m. on the channel. Thanks for hanging out, and I'll see you all then. Oh, boy. Coca-Cola bit off more than they could chew. Coca-Cola quietly deletes mentions of Black Lives Matter from company website. For every corporate donor who sent millions to BLM, do you regret supporting such a virulently anti-Semitic organization? Coke has been a financial sponsor of Black Lives Matter for years. However, references to its support of the organization appear to have vanished from its website in light of recent posts shared by the group siding with Hamas. BLM Chicago, an organizer from L.A., are among those, and an organizer from L.A., among those associated with the purported civil rights group to have publicly voiced support for the Iranian-backed Palestinian terror group following its latest wave of violence. Uh, here we are. Ted Cruz called it out with this ex-post. God red-handed. Coca-Cola deletes its support for BLM. One screenshot of his Coke is of Coke's website before BLM supported Hamas. And the other is from this morning. This is from a couple days ago. He used to say the brand also donated $500,000 to the Black Lives Matter Global Network to support the group's voting education and efforts and their February 2021 Black Future Month program, blah, blah, blah. And here you go. And gone. Here's a funny thing. One of the founders of the Black Lives Matter Global Network uh, Patrice Cullors had stated in 2015 they want to end Israel. Oh boy. Coca Cola, like so many other companies, like so many woke leftists, sided with abject evil and are now reeling because of it. Look, I'm not saying that uh, I'm going to take a stand in the uh, Israel Palestine conflict or anything like that, right? Uh, I'm talking about the left lying about everything wanting to expose children to graphic materials and, and all that jazz. And Coke defended it. OK, but now, now, ladies and gentlemen, I introduce you to Israel-Palestine derangement syndrome. Coca-Cola had no problem supporting mass rioting, dozens of deaths. All of this, OK, all of this, including what happened with Kyle Rittenhouse, all of this was fine with Coca-Cola. But no, the Israel thing. You know what, man? I don't drink that garbage anyway. Coca-Cola is trash. It is absolute trash. And I implore you, you know what I've been drinking? I've been drinking these, uh, these here Spindrifts. <laughs> Spindrift, you win. Uh, this is amazing. Spindrift is, uh, they don't sponsor me or anything. We just bought, we bought a bunch of them. Carbonated water, grapefruit juice, orange juice, lemon juice, hibiscus, three grams of sugar, and then uh, what am I drinking right now? That one's empty. This one's a blood orange, two grams of sugar. And then we've got one. That, uh, these things are awesome. It's like carbonated water with a little bit of lemon juice in it. And the funny thing is that that's what I always drink. Uh, I go to, when I go to a restaurant, I'll be like, just give me some lemons to squeeze them into my uh, club soda or, or sparkling water. And uh, way better. And if I do like a lemon tea, I'll put some lemon juice in it, but no sugar. Lemon's fine. 
That's what I drink. I don't drink that high fructose corn garbage that Coca-Cola puts out. But uh, let's let's talk about Israel uh, derangement syndrome. And I think I, I think you get this here. My point on the Coca-Cola issue is all of the really awful things BLM did didn't matter. I mean, they were accused of stealing millions of dollars. Coke did not care. But <laughs> you get into Israel and oh, boy, oh, boy, Coke's dropping you like a sack of potatoes. Yeah. Did you know that right now in uh, Southeast Asia, there's like 12,000 dead over the Burma-Myanmar conflict? It's been going on since 1948. Yeah, nobody cares. But for some reason, Israel, ah, the Israel-Palestine derangement syndrome. This is, this is what I, I, I don't care about what your stance is. Here's what I care about. You cannot say anything about Israel-Palestine without someone just like, screaming at the top of their lungs. You know, it, 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 it's got to be really intense to get Coca-Cola to back away from defending BLM. You know it. And so we get this backlash. But there's a lot of people, I'm not going to call them out specifically, high profile individuals that we've shouted out before, people I think we've even had on the show. And it's just like, they've posted 300 tweets about Israel. And I'm just like, what happened to your brain? Did your brain fall out? I'm not saying their stance on Israel-Palestine is the issue. I'm saying the fact that all of a sudden these people are just like spam tweeting like crazy, like Israel. And I'm like, what is wrong with you people? That's what I'm pissed off about. And then you get people being like, you're tweeting about it, Tim. And I'm like, dude, I am tweeting about y'all's incessant nonstop derangement over the issue, be it pro or anti-Israel. I don't care. I'm seeing people like they're, they're all making memes. And I'm just like, what about Israel makes your brain fall out of your head? I've been saying this for, for, for a long time. I talked about how like we used to have an old uh, uh, chat server and there were people who were so deranged. Their brains had rotten and twisted to such a degree that like someone would say something like, do you guys try the you guys ever have CeCe's pizza? And then someone would be like, oh, yeah, pizza buffet. That's really good. I like that. The other person would be like, yeah, but I like New York style pizza, like actually from New York. Have you ever had any pizza, uh, you know, outside of New York? And then someone would be like, I once had pizza when I was in Europe. And then someone would go, I had pizza in Israel once. The thing about Israel. And then. And I was like, how did we go from pizza to Israel? How does that happen? People's brains don't work. It's like no other issue. And there's a lot of issues that make people go crazy. But, dude, I'm just like. As an American, here's what I think. We saw what happened on October 7th. And, we, and this is what you get. Look at this. Southland Post. Woman rips down posters of missing Israelis in Miami. Why? Why? <laughs> and the guys filming are like, why are you doing this? She's like, you're misinformed. And they're like, are you pro Hamas? Like, no, of course not. But like, <laughs> she's so psychotic. These people are so insane. Bro, I walk down the street. I see a communist sign on the wall. I ignore it. But people go psychotic over Israel. They're not talking about Burma, Myanmar. And I'm being careful here because I don't even know about that, right? Is it Burma? Is it Myanmar? Is it Israel? Is it Palestine? Two conflicts stemming back many, many years, uh, both with inflection points in 1948. And that's the point, man. You don't, and and people are, it's it's religious, okay? It's, you know, the, the Holy Land or whatever. And I'm like, I get it. But like, the people I'm talking about who are going nuts, like this lady, she's not a Christian. I mean, maybe she is. I really doubt it. This lady probably doesn't know or care about religion, but she's ripping down a photo of a guy who was kidnapped for no reason. 
dude, I just don't care. And it's funny because I'll be like, what Hamas did was wrong on October 7th. And, and it's resulted in untold death. And we can condemn that. And they lied about the hospital. And they're like, Tim won't even talk about the history of Palestine. Because, and I'm like, no, because you're insane. I comment on current news and events. Right now, we have a current story. As soon as this story passes and we move on, I ain't going to be talking about it. This is the truth. This is true for any subject. And people are so psychotic and fervent about Israel-Palestine. Their brains just rupture from their skulls the moment the story comes up. I feel like many of you completely agree. Because I'm, I'm, on, I'm on Twitter. Someone, like I mentioned earlier, someone tweeted that I said last night, innocent dead uh, Palestinians doesn't mean anything, to, doesn't matter to me, doesn't mean anything, which is literally not what I said. Because they're so hell-bent on turning this into a, a, a team thing, like my team versus your team, that it's just like, bro, y'all need some football, okay? Please argue over like the batting average of your favorite teams, like the White Sox versus the Cubs. Do that instead. Instead of exacerbating ongoing political tensions, which could lead to like serious war. But that's the thing, too. I, I, I get why Coca-Cola finally got rid of BLM. It's because you can tolerate, like Coca-Cola as a company can tolerate political culture war stuff, but they can't tolerate the Israel stuff because people are just, it, it goes from zero to a hundred, right? Like even last night we had this dude on and I've got people tweeting at me how wrong I was. Oh, how wrong I was. And I'm like, no, you're just zealots. You're, I'm sorry, dude, you're zealots. I, I, I'm not going to change my opinion. You don't have to like me. By all means, stop watching. If the approach is on October 7th, Hamas attacked Israel. Hey, I'm an American. I'm hearing about this thing. That was bad. That shouldn't happen. Israel responds with airstrikes. A lot of civilians die. I'm like, okay, that's bad too, but I get it. It's war. I'm not saying I condone it. I'm just being like, how do we stop all this dying? Well, simple answer is we're America and it's none of our effing business. But then what happens is you get pro-Israel people attacking me and my staff and anti-Israel people attacking me and my staff, screaming. One guest we had on this show called for nuking Gaza. <laughs> Y'all are nuts. Y'all are crazy. Bro. <laughs> you come on this show and you're like, war is bad. And then they call for nuking Gaza. And I'm like, do you want the world to just end now? And I'm kind of like, man, I'm concerned about the southern border. But this is the point, dude. I'm seeing posts like this. We've got high profile personalities screaming at the top of their lungs. And I'm like, dude, calm down. I don't get it. Holy land, I guess. But that's just really what I can't stand. Like, what other issue would result in someone being so deranged they would rip down these posters? You know what I mean? It's, it's, it's genuinely insane to me. <coughs> People on the left argue that like Israel's an occupying force. And then people on the on, on the right argue that Hamas is massacring civilians and they're and they're brutal. And I'm just like, uh huh, yeah, okay, I, I I hear you both, but please tell me why you're not arguing about literally any other conflict, any other one. Someone said Jesus died in Israel, not in Ukraine. And I'm like, no, 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 I get that, but these people aren't religious. Okay, these secular liberal types are not religious. I don't get it. I just don't get this one. We've had guests on this show that really, really pissed me off. You know, what pisses me off. I don't care about your arguments about Israel-Palestine. I really, really don't. I just don't. Not interested. We can talk about civilians dying. It's bad. No matter who's, who, on, where. Palestinian civilian dies is really, really bad. Israel civilian dies is very, very bad. But what's crazy is how we've had guests on, on IRL 
where it's like we're talking and I'm like, yeah, I don't think the U.S. should be in the Middle East, you know, like this, this Afghanistan war. And then we're having this calm conversation. Go back and watch Tim Cast. You'll find the guests. We can be having a calm conversation with someone like, well, you understand, like the, the American military industrial complex profits off of this. And we had the story where uh, Congress said we didn't want any more tanks to be built. And yet still the contracts get steamrolled through. Or, I'm sorry, it was uh, the military was saying no more tanks. And Congress approved the bill anyway. Why? Facilitation of the military industrial complex. I'm like, oh, interesting. And then all of a sudden the word Israel happens and their eyes just go when they go. And I'm like, how did we go from rationally conversing about policy, the legislature, AUMFs, NDAAs. Then as soon as Israel happened, they're like banging the table and like shaking like, I'm like, huh. Okay, dude, bro, you know what I want to talk about? We got an election coming up. We've got spending on foreign wars and policy. And this is the thing. This now involves Israel. And you can see, I mean, most of you just know how insane everyone's getting over the issue. Me? You know what gets me all riled up? Zealotry. I hate it. That's why I can't stand the cult of the left. They're, 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 they, they march in lockstep over deranged, amoral, crackpot policy without cause or reason. And now here we are. And I'm just begging people to be like, can you explain to me why you care more about Israel than the United States? And I, don't, I shouldn't say Israel, Israel-Palestine. Well, how is it that we have people in the U.S. protesting for Palestine? Like what, what we, we've got problems here in the United States. You want universal health care left leftists? You're like universal health care. Trump, orange man, bad fascists. OK, why are you out for Palestine? I went to the uh, Peace Wall in Northern Ireland when I was in Belfast. And on one side, they've got Palestine. On the other side, they got Israel. And there are actually people in Northern Ireland who think they're a lost tribe of Israel. And I'm like, I'm I think I'm done with this one. I think I'm just going to walk away. Because y'all are crazy. And we'll talk about something else. Maybe we'll talk about the election or something. Whatever, dude. I think people have just absolutely lost their minds. I'll leave it there. Oh, no, 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 no. You see, here's the issue, my friends. No, we're going we're gonna to talk about it. But it's not because anyone here has Israel derangement syndrome. It's because it's in the news. And I'll talk about it if it's in the news. But people need to calm the F down. Look, I get it. Hamas killed a bunch of civilians. Israeli airstrikes are, are, are killing a lot of civilians as well. But y'all still need to chill because cooler heads will prevail. And you're not convincing anyone when you shriek and post these memes. And bro, there, there's there's one dude who's posted probably like 50 times just like in the past, uh, you know, couple hours, nonstop, virulent anti-Israel stuff. And I'm like, dude, chill out. But it's it's I'm not even talking about. If you're posting stories like, did you know that 1973 Israel did this? I'm like, that's fine. I'm saying like there are people who are posting just like constant insults and streams and screaming. And it's just crazy, dude. Unfollow, unfollow, mute, unreasonable, unhinged conversations. that ain't helping anybody. But I'll tell you what. That's why I get why Coca-Cola is like we're out, not because they have a moral, uh, 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 not, not for uh, having a backbone, not because they have a moral compass. But because they're just like, we can't handle the psychosis. I'll leave it there. Next segment's coming up tonight at 8 p.m. over at YouTube.com slash Timcast IRL. Thanks for hanging out, and we'll see you all then. It was the best of times. It was the worst of times. And apparently, it is the end of times. We have this from CBN. Five reasons many Christians believe end times are upon us. 
Israel plays a major role. The funny thing is, I heard this well before the Israel-Palestine conflict got so heated in recent history. I mean, obviously, it's been heated for some time, but this recent uh, attack and, and response and the escalation, well before this, we were talking about the signs that the end of days is upon us. For Christians, the argument is Jesus will return. For the Jews, it is the argument that the Messiah will finally appear. Jewish people don't believe the Messiah has uh, yet emerged and the Messianic era may be upon us. And Christians believe Jesus was the Messiah and will return again. It's very interesting. Uh, I, 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 I say that vaguely. I, you know, Correct me if I'm wrong. Um, I'm not an expert on this stuff, but let's read this article from CBN. They say our culture has become increasingly captivated by apocalyptic themes and storylines with a plethora of popular TV shows and feature films embracing zombies, plagues and other terrifying end of day scenarios. But the idea of a future Armageddon like scenario isn't merely reserved for fictional plots, as the concept is deeply embedded in Christian theology, impacting the way believers have read and interpreted interpreted biblical scripture over the past two millennia. And with Hamas's horrific terror attack against Israel making headlines this month, it's no surprise prophecy discussions are ramping up. The conversation comes as many contemporary theologians and pastors believe the world is currently observing numerous signs of the, that mirror the supposedly prophetic contents of verses in Old and New Testament books like Ezekiel, Daniel, and Revelation. Some of these apparent signs, of course, involve Israel, which is why news of the nation sparks so much intrigue. Is that the reason? Perhaps. What has convinced these theologians and pastors that the end of times could be ramping up? That's a question I've covered in depth in my book, The Armageddon Code. Many of these theologians and pastors told me that sweeping moral decay, biblical disconnectedness, and ongoing violence in the Middle East are just a few of the prophetic markers they believe were foretold thousands of years ago in both the Old and New Testaments. But how can Christians leaders be so sure Jesus himself foretold of his future second coming? The problem? Christ also proclaimed in Matthew 24, 36 that no one knows the day or the hour of his return. Well, the Bible proclaims that humanity cannot know the when. Jesus did reveal to the disciples some signs of his second coming in Matthew 24, 6 through 8. You will hear of wars and rumors of wars, but see to it that you are not alarmed. Nation will rise against nation and kingdom against kingdom. There will be famines and earthquakes in various places. All these are the beginning of birth pains. Surely war has always been with us through the 20th and 21st century. Seen broader. Okay, <clears throat> so let's break it down. <clears throat> Excuse me. What is the argument that what Jesus said is upon us? Chaos in the Middle East, number one. With all this in mind, the first sign that some Bible scholars positing the world is either in or is rapidly approaching the end of times, gas in the Middle East. In recent years, the situation in the region has been raising more than a few eyebrows and the seemingly never ending tensions between Israel and her neighbors, most recently exemplified in the Hamas terror attack, continue to intensify. Number two, Hamas, the Islamic State and other bad actors. From Hamas's barbaric attack that killed at least 1400 Israelis to the Islamic State's murderous and bloodthirsty quest for power. This plague nations across the globe, there's no shortage of chaos. Taking those events into account, many Bible experts will point out that some of the battles described in Scripture, clashes that they believe are still unfulfilled, are slated to take place in the Middle East. Many of the experts I interviewed couldn't help but wonder if the groundwork is currently being set for the fulfillment of the Gog and Magog battles that are referenced in the book of Ezekiel and Revelation, a concept I address in detail in his book, The Armageddon Code. Israel's reemergence. That brings me to the next modern day phenomenon. 
that has piqued the interest of Bible experts. The 1948 reemergence of Israel after a Jewish state was noticeably absent from the map for nearly 1,900 years. Here's why it matters. Futurists who see many Bible prophecies are being currently unfulfilled, as being currently unfulfilled, believe that the Old and New Testament scriptures consistently predicted that a state of Israel would once again emerge at some point in the future. Consider Ezekiel 36, 24, which was written 2,500 years ago, includes the following words that are attributed to God. For I will take you out of the nations. I will gather you from all the countries and bring you back into your own land. Futurists believe that the Old Testament verses clearly reference a future restoration of Israel that was unlike anything that unfolded prior to the end of the Holocaust in World War II. Modern day Israel is seen by these theologians and pastors as a super sign of the end of days to come. I cannot fathom how this modern day prophetic fulfillment, a super sign, can be ignored. Author Jeff Kinley, who takes a futurist approach, told me in interviews for the Armageddon Code. Other experts, though, would counter that verse, among others, related to the Babylonian captivity, which with the Jews were forcibly taken by King Nebuchadnezzar II and were held in Babylonia after being expelled from Judah following its conquest around 597 BC and not the recreation of Israel. 1948. Persian leader Cyrus the Great later permitted the Jews to head back to their land in 538 BC, which could be perceived as a fulfillment of those prophecies that the temple and, the Jeru- and, and Jerusalem again would come under assault by the Romans in 70 AD, leaving the Jews scattered throughout the world for centuries. Shifts in morality is number four. The fourth issue that is sparking intrigue about the world's proximity to the end of days is the fact that American culture is changing at a rapid rate, with traditional understandings of marriage and gender transforming as a more progressive view on sexuality takes root. There's a sense among many that immorality is intensifying, which seems to be one of the biblical signs we are told to look for as love waxes cold and people become lovers of themselves. And five, last but not least, the spread of the gospel. The idea that the Christian gospel continues to be preached in even the most remote and hard to reach geographic areas throughout the world. This matters to many Bible experts due to the fact that Christ, after his resurrection, gave the disciples the commandment in Matthew 28, 19 to go and make disciples of all nations. Jesus and also mentioned this preaching of scripture throughout the world earlier in the book of Matthew. The gospel of the kingdom will be preached in the world in the whole world as a testimony to all nations. And then the end will come. Interesting. So there you have it. You know what I think? Wouldn't it be funny if like there is the second coming or depending on what you believe, the first coming of the Messiah, the son of God, whatever you want to call him. And they're just like, yo, y'all were totally off. You know what I mean? Like, like ignore polytheism and like the Hellenistic era where they're like the pantheon. I like the idea of the pantheon because it fits simulism so well. But imagine like there's a Messiah who comes and they're just like, this is what you guys believed. And then like there's an actual uh, imagine the Messiah, the Christ, second coming, first coming comes and actually and, and, and I mean this respectfully, like imagine there's a second coming or the first like the Messiah arrives and they're like, let me explain to you what the words literally mean, like let's remove all in, of man's interpretation or like attempts to decipher and then actually get told, right? What I love about the pantheon of gods is like, if we really were in a simulation, there would be a pantheon. It's like sound design, you know, John Smith. And they're like the great God of sound, like the huntress, you know, an Aphrodite. It's like, they're just the programmers, you know, in the great simulation. So there's a story I talked about a little while ago about the red heifer. A lot of people got really excited about that story because it's interesting. The argument that right now, I think they should have added to the story, one of the signs, 
is that allegedly beginning of September, a red heifer was born in Israel for the first time in 2000 years. And this is a signal of like the, the third temple or whatever, which like signifies like the Messiah will be coming. And, you know, here's my concern. How would you know? Let us go back to the times of Jesus Christ. For many believed he was the Messiah and many believed he was a blasphemer. And that's the issue. I've heard this a lot when I was growing up. People said if Jesus did come back, people would just assume he was a crazy guy. And I'm like, yo, they did back then, too. Right. That's the point. That's I, I, I'm not a biblical scholar, but I believe a strong reason why Jesus was crucified for daring to to proclaim such a thing or to have people believe it. If the uh, Messiah comes once again. Yeah, no one's going to believe it. A lot of people may. A lot of people may not. There have been many people throughout the years who have claimed to have been the uh, return of Jesus. Look it all up. So I wonder if there will be signs that accompany the return of Jesus Christ. Or I suppose for uh, for those who are Jewish, if it's a sign of the first arrival of the Messiah. What I can say is there's an entire possibility that as these signs bubble up, a charlatan may emerge that people actually believe could be the return of uh, uh, Jesus Christ. How would you know? The interesting thing is people often refer to individuals with long hair and beards as Jesus. And it's because we have these tropes of an image of Jesus with long hair and a beard. But you wouldn't know what the individual would look like. There's speculation about what Jesus actually looked like. There's a composite of the people of the region. And they're like, this is what we believe Jesus looked like. And it's like a dark skinned individual with like thick brown or thick blackish hair or whatever. But then you have the traditional European version of Jesus, which is a white man with long brown hair and a beard. You also have Japanese Jesus. Seamus has talked about this, Seamus Coughlin, that people would always depict Jesus as a part of their culture. And that's normal. And I think the issue is right, because would you really know what the Messiah would look like if they came today? And how would you know for sure? Perhaps there are signs and explanations in the Bible. Perhaps you can comment below and enlighten me. But my point simply here is this. There are many people who believe it is the end of times, no matter what you think. But, but the issue is there's always people who think this. The question is, is it true today or is it just another bit of speculation? Hmm. I'll leave it there. Next segment's coming up at 4 p.m. on the channel. Thanks for hanging out and I'll see you all then.